Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. This past year, we had the pleasure to speak to a broad range of individuals, including regular dog parents who simply cherish their pets, as well as scientific experts, pro athletes, book authors, creative designers, and even a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. One, I connected with them because we have dogs and we share wonderful stories about our dogs, but also I'm learning so much about the science of dogs, about the behavior of dogs, and all of the different ways that dogs enrich our life. Also this year, I was so excited because we launched a dog walk meditation series. And it's really this idea that when we are out in nature or even on the street, walking with our dogs, there is a way to connect both with our dogs and with our inner self. As we wrap up another year of Dog Save the People, I just wanted to say thank you to all of our amazing listeners and to the amazing people that I got to interview. Now, without further ado, here's a look back at some snippets from this year's episodes. Dogs are the comfort through the losses, and they're also the keepers of memory. Because we have our dogs almost as long as people have their children before the children go to college. If we're lucky, we have our dogs for that long. So inevitably, they're going to see us through some big milestones and probably some really big challenges. The dogs are our shepherds in so many ways. She taught me to trust that just because I grew up without parents by my side, that I still know how to be one if I need to, and that I do have the capacity to be selfless. I think a lot of dog owners see in their dogs a reflection of themselves, and that's totally fine. But I think that misses something kind of profound. I know that Typo's experience of the world is not my own. I know he senses things very differently. He thinks about the world in a very different way. And I love leaning into that difference. It makes me constantly curious about what he's thinking or what he's perceiving. When you take a person who is already so isolated and at risk, whose pet is really sort of their sole source of companionship, that relationship becomes even more important. Being around pets, it reduces stress, it reduces anxiety, it gives people a sense of purpose. That's really important too. We all need to have some kind of a giant goal, however aspirational it is. And when that goal is helping people, and when that goal is being around animals, just feel like it highlights how beautiful everything can be in the world. A lot of us don't think about we want to be more like our dogs, but by example, they bring out the compassion, empathy in us by their behavior, which in a lot of ways instinctually is above ours. I think that the way that we treat our dogs is very similar to how we treat some aspect of our inner child. If we tell our dogs they can't have emotions, that's probably also what we're doing to ourselves. If we overprotect, we're probably overprotecting some part of ourselves. Or we get the opposite of people saying like, I want my dog to be free and they let their dog do all kinds of things that are obnoxious to the rest of the world because they won't let themselves be free in ways that they want to be free. 
Victoria was all about the family. She had eight children and many dogs. She had all of her dogs painted. So many paintings before that had been sporting paintings, which are beautiful in their own right, where dogs were really working. But this is a totally different kind of a genre. It's all about the relationship between the person and the dog, and they tell a story about what happened at that time. She really changed the way people felt about dogs. So Archer became my rock. He kept me focused on helping other people. We'd still continued to do the therapy dog team, went for walks everywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Out of all these dogs that I've had growing up, I think Archer is the one dog that has touched my heart and we can go do these things. He gets me out and I can just be myself with him. Pragmatically, just practically, my day changed because you have to walk the dog. Those moments during the day, beginning and end of the day, I live in a beautiful part of LA where there's hills all around and nature everywhere. You know, my phone stays at home and we go out for a walk and I just slow down. I'm on Zod time and it's totally his walk. It's not mine. And that's been incredibly meditative and incredibly important. Just how it frames my day, how I think about time. My dog was happy every day that the sun came up. Whereas I might think, oh my goodness, in a week, I'm going to have to go back for chemotherapy. And what a waste, right? Here I am trying to do everything to stay alive because I love this life here on earth, but I'm missing that life because I'm too consumed with the what ifs. Our dogs, no matter what the ultimate outcome, how short or how long, live and appreciate every moment that they're in. I think they model that for us. My mother, we could not be more different. We've had an extremely complicated, acrimonious relationship. But Pete is like her soul dog. And it so impacted me the way this dog responds to her and the way she responds to him. There's such possibility for compassion on my mother's side that I would not otherwise see. I think that dogs for many people are messengers of joy. That when you're around a dog, you just feel happy. When I was with the Italian Coast Guard on board the boat, they were watching the water and patrolling the beach all over Italy. So if you're seeing somebody in a panic situation who absolutely loves dogs, the dog coming out to rescue a person has to make them feel like, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, is this magic? Is this something else? And so, you know, the person happily grabs onto the handhold on the harness. They're often involved in preventing a drowning or preventing a bad experience for some swimmer. I wouldn't have had it in me to go revisit all the events that I talk about in the book, like the genocide in Rwanda. That's not a place you want to go back to see and remember. But I have to say, with Blue, my mind just settled down. He could be in a sound freight train-like sleep, and he would get up and walk over and put his head on my leg. I don't know how it works, but whatever it does, it works. 40% of a dog's brain is devoted to its olfactory system. And so 
for many of these dogs, scent is central to the act of hunting. For scent detection dogs, both the chasing after scent, even if it is the scent of somebody who's deceased, and then once you find that scent, to be able to play with the human. The dog finds both things super rewarding. When I'm at work and then I take Pancho out for a walk, it kind of helps me reconnect with the present. And if I was like stuck with an idea or something, it almost helps release that knot. That just being with Pancho, just petting him, just walking with him, just taking some breath and yeah, and some sunlight outside, it really changes my experience at that point. It reconnects me to present. Because it's just with their presence that you can get connected to yourself in a deeper, more mindful way. We need a type of one unwavering friend throughout our entire life. Sometimes for various reasons, that one unwavering friend is not always a human being. What I have experienced in my life with my animal companions has been going on, we know for at least 200 years, but it's likely for more than 15 or 20,000 years. I think there's something really important about that by realizing how our story fits into all the other stories of human-animal connection. My father was so open to learning from Chaser, understanding the depth and the significance of her cognitive intelligence, but also her emotional intelligence and her desires and how reinforcing her innate instincts and behaviors was incredibly pleasurable and reinforcing for her. So the more that he could let her be who she was, the harder she worked. He knew that in order to really tap into genius, you had to have that bond and that relationship. When you're with a dog, you're like, what is in those pine needles? You know, look at that bird and that squirrel and what's over here? And so you're totally in the moment. And I love being plugged into place like that, into the communication of the natural world. You know, the trees talking to the wind and the wind talking to the birds and the birds talking to my dog and the dog talking to me. And I'm part of that circle. We didn't have to say anything. It was just our bodies just moved in harmony together. That is such a gift. I am deeply grateful to all of our inspiring guests who I got to meet and got to know in a very meaningful way through our interviews. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. 
This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you. Thank you.